Shalom and welcome again to Secrets of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you have uh, comments or suggestions, uh, concerns, or want to volunteer to write for the website, just uh, email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. We appreciate it. Uh, and we welcome back to uh, Seekers of Meaning, an old friend, um, and full disclosure, somebody I've worked with for a few years, uh, <laughs> Shelley Christensen, who is the Senior Director of Faith, Inclusion, and Belonging for Respectability, respectability.com. Uh, and we worked together um, in the old days when I worked for the Union for Reform Judaism, and we began working in the field uh, of uh, disability programming, and Shelly was one of the key architects of putting that together uh, with uh, my colleague of blessed memory, Lynn Landsberg, and uh, my other colleague, uh, Edie Mencher. So, Shelly, welcome. It's it's really nice to see you. Hello. I know you're in Minneapolis, where you're based, and um, I hope it's not snowing, uh, even though we're recording this <laughs> in the end of October. Um, I hope everything is fine, and you're safe, and you're healthy. That's the most important thing. Hi, Richie. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. And um, yes, um, by the time this airs, it'll probably be snow on the ground. It was 80 degrees the other day. Oh, wow. This morning, it, this morning it was 30 degrees. Oh. So. It's Minnesota, live in right? a, It's Minnesota. Yes. Yes. We, we are diverse in many, many ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's great to be here. Um, I am a longtime friend. Somebody called me an old friend yesterday, and I, <laughs> I just went. Well, I'm a little sensitive about being old, <laughs> not an old, but an old friend. Anyway, call me whatever you want. <laughs> well, it's nice to see you, Shelley. So, tell me about respectability. Um, what what is what is this, and what's the website? The website uh, respectability.com. What is it? Dot org. Yeah, it's so respectability is a disability organization founded in 2013. So we're, we're just about 10 years old. And initially, the respectability um, worked in the Jewish disability inclusion space and then uh, became started branching out into other areas as well, including entertainment and news media, where we have a very robust uh, organization that works with producers, directors, studios, as well as disabled artists and producers, directors, writers, actors, to raise the profile and make sure that people with disabilities are portrayed accurately in TV, movies and so forth. And we have a policy department, which works as an advocacy unit, although we don't do advocacy, we're neutral as an organization. But we really focus right now, we're really focused on competitive employment and working with other organizations to raise awareness and also to uh, to really bring the issue of of eliminating substandard wages for people with disabilities, as well as encouraging policy uh, that leads to competitive employment. And we also have a leadership wing of respectability. 
And the leadership wing is very, it's very interesting because we have an apprenticeship program. We have 15 apprentices on board right now working in all the different areas. And this is really working with individuals in their early careers, early career professionals, people who are becoming, who are interested in, and, uh, in different er- the different areas we work in, including faith, inclusion, and belonging. And we also have a speakers bureau. What's interesting about respectability, and I think one of the strengths of the organization is that 85% of us who work there identify as someone with a disability. So I, I identify as neurodivergent. And that means that uh, my brain wiring is, uh, is determined by attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which some would consider a disability. I consider it a strength, <laughs> a gift, <laughs> because, because it's, it's how, how I am uh, able to think creatively, boldly, and address some of the issues that that are facing people with disabilities and mental health conditions currently. So, in my role at Respectability, uh, we are we had a strong, strong uh, background in Jewish disability inclusion, and our board of directors about a year and a half ago said, we're doing all this work in the Jewish arena. What about interfaith work? What about working with other faith communities? And this past April, or May, yeah, April, I got a call from the interim CEO at Respectability, good friend of, of mine, Debbie Fisher. And she said, there's an opening at Respectability. And I have to tell you, it has your name written all over it. And I think you should apply. And I have, I've been a consultant for nine years. Right. I've worked on my own and just loved being a consultant and working with not only Jewish communal organizations, but organizations that by and large were uh, devoted to interfaith inclusion. And then through that, working with other faith communities. And I was happy. And I thought, I don't want to go back to work full time. This is new. And I was just approaching uh, my, not a milestone birthday, but one year away from a milestone birthday. And I can, I can say that I, that I, I do receive Medicare and I do receive Social Security. So that'll kind of give you an idea of where this is headed. Um, talk to my family. I said, you guys, if we go back to work full time, I mean, what are the implications as far as how that would affect you? And uh, we have four grandchildren who we've been heavily involved in, in running the uh, grandparent schlepping service and babysitting service. And, I thought, you know, those kids are getting older. The youngest two are in their last year of preschool. They don't need me as much. Um, and I, I learned about the job. I talked to people at Respectability who I knew and admired. And I decided that I would 
accept this responsibility. And the, the responsibility was to build the department with an interfaith approach while preserving and advancing the work that we do in the Jewish community. And it really, it really felt like a redesign to me. Good. And building an interfaith de- a, a, a department that focuses on interfaith with a background, as you said, within the Jewish community, so you know some of the vocabulary, what's been your greatest challenge of reaching out into the into the Christian community, the Muslim community, other communities? Mm-hmm. What, what's been the greatest challenge? Good question. I, I just want to preface this by saying that I've been involved in many, many different interfaith initiatives throughout the years, and many of my colleagues are also in the interfaith space, um, whether they're, whether they're practitioners or academics or, um, directors, executive directors, um, and innovators in both Christian and interfaith uh, worlds. We've known each other a long time, and we've really learned that the work that I've personally done in Jewish community life uh, for over 20 years is really transferable because, because ultimately, and this is key to Anything that we do going forward, and that's in our job or in our department title, is the word belonging. Simply put, people with disabilities and mental health conditions want to belong to their chosen faith community like, like anyone else. And that has, that resonates across all faiths. It's the work that we're doing right now, we had to be very clear because there's so many different organizations out there. Our role at respectability isn't coming in and saying, oops, sorry. Our role at respectability isn't saying, you know, we're going to come in and we're going to teach Methodists how, just as an example, how to, how to create an inclusive culture, the things to do because Methodists need to do that teaching, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Jews need to do teaching to Jews. It's, it's the culture, the vocabulary. Muslims can teach Muslims how to do these things. What we're trying to do is, is really create a, a space for convening, a space for collaboration and for partnership with other faith communities as well so that we can, we can see what each other, all of these organizations are doing and learn from that and to support each other. And as well as look at some of the practices, some of the things that we're creating in house at respectability and seeing how those projects that we're doing can, can be, um, extended to other communities. And the, the, it's, it's simply put, it's because what we're all doing is helping people accept that notion of belonging for all people. What are some of the, so, what are some of these in-house projects mm-hmm. that you feel uh, most applicable to, the, to the, the totality of the interfaith community? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing, we're 
really in the last, I've been out with respectability for a little over six months. And I've spent that time talking to a lot of people, networking, meeting people, learning, and and kind of reshaping what the role of respectability is. Respectability was very much, a, you know, do webinars, create um, toolkits and things like that. And that's great. Those are good resources. But it, the field has changed, particularly since COVID. And we are able to do a lot more work remotely to provide things for other organizations as well. So some of the things that we're doing is, um, and this, although it sounds Jewish and it is at its heart, um, it's applicable in many different faith communities as well. So the example would be Jewish Disability Awareness, Acceptance and Inclusion Month, which started in 2009. And uh, I volunteered at the time to just run with what now we call JDAME uh, in terms of coordinating kind of a, a base effort. So creating a, a, a guide every year, program guide, uh, managing logos and marketing and things like that, and uh, creating a book club, choosing some books that we thought would not only appeal to people who were in you know, invested in disability inclusion, but also to people, for people who aren't invested yet or aware yet. And so, um, so I've been, we just celebrated our B'nai Mitzvah year yeah. in 2022. <laughs> so the, the started in 2009 with about seven or eight communities right across the U.S doing similar programming in the month of February. February is Jewish Disability Awareness, Acceptance, and Inclusion Month. And in 2022, JDIM is recognized on, I believe, six continents in diverse communities around the world. And what that means in this month of February, it means that the Jewish world, by and large, is not only, not only recognizes that there are Jews with disabilities, but recognizes that the community itself is richer when people with disabilities and mental health conditions are part of that community. And so JDAM has really elevated that not only the conversation, but the action. And with my move to respectability, JDame is coming with me. Right. So we're, we're working on a number of initiatives for this coming year. And we think it'll, with respectability's um, vast network, we think that there will be a lot more communities and organizations participating. That said, several years ago, an organization called Faith Inclusion Network, which is based in Hampton Roads, Virginia, is it, it's an interfaith organization. Uh, contacted me and said we want to we want to use February as a platform in an interfaith way to elevate this, you know, our our work and the work that's going on and the needs that are we're facing in in. The community and so they created something called Commu community for all and for several years they ran programs 
and uh, brought this idea of coming together as a community in, in the different, you know, different congregations, different organizations to raise awareness in February. And they've, they've done a conference and a number of different things. Um, there are other community organizations and other faiths that are very interested in creating this kind mm -hmm. of sea change, these kinds of events. And so at Respectability, we're going to be able to provide guidance, mentorship, consultations, so that a, a community-wide awareness campaign can be can be achieved, or a, a, an entire faith campaign, just like we've done with with Jadim. That's one of one of the ways that we convene. We're also active in different interfaith initiatives, such as the Institute on on Theology and Disability, which is uh, has been. I think it's been held for ten years now. It was founded by our good friend and mentor to many, uh, Bill Gaventa, and that brings that brings people together of different faiths, clergy, practitioners, ac academics, um, certainly people with disabilities, always people with disabilities, as presenters, as um, as just a, a community of people coming together to learn and study together, not only the implications of theology, the different theological perspectives on disability, but also to build community and to share best practices, because some of the people that are, are there are practitioners and uh, who want to know different theological perspectives. And conversely, people who are involved in, in the theological end of, of disability want to know, you know, what's happening in the world? Mm -hmm. What are people doing hands-on? So that's, that's been terrific. Um, and so we continue, now that I'm at Respectability, I've, I've been involved with the Institute for many, many years. And now at Respectability, Respectability will be uh, one of the partners in the Institute going forward. So, so that, many years ago, when we were developing something for the reform movement, mm -hmm. I remember sitting at a lunch with a group of people uh, at Temple Sinai in Oakland, California. Mm -hmm. And uh, Neil, it's Neil Jacobson, uh, was yes. sitting there, uh, who had been in a wheelchair for most of his life. And he, we were talking about the development of this program. And he turned around and he said, Remember, Rabbi, that if you live long enough, everyone is going to have some type of disability. And I'll never forget that. Um, talk to me about how respectability, and especially in your role as the direct senior director of faith, inclusion, and belonging, you know, how do we begin to understand the net, uh, the losses? perhaps necessary natural losses that mm -hmm. individuals have as we as we get older that may be labeled as oh you're now you now have a disability you don't hear so well you don't move so well mm -hmm. uh, that, how do we begin to understand that and put a spin of saying this is not the end this is just part of living right i think that i think saying that is really important i 
I don't think that, you know, and recognizing hearing loss, vision loss, um, memory loss, so many different things that impact a body well used, well lived, a mind well lived. Um, somehow it's not always seen as a disability issue. However, that's where, that's where, you know, it's, it's like as people get older and this, these things happen to them, it's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. I can't do things the way I used to. And if I want to continue to participate the way I used to, to continue to be involved, I need, I need an accommodation. I need some accommodations. I need a large print prayer book. I need a hearing, a, a hearing loop so that my hearing aid can pick up what's being said from the Bema, for example, from the altar. It's, we have to talk about lifelong needs that people have. And at the same time, talk about lifelong contributions that people make that the community itself uh, it is is a better community because of diversity and that's that's you know i think that's really important i i just think there's so many things we don't talk about and and the result of of aging is one of those areas well you you were very instrumental many years ago and i think you put this in in your book which is over your right hand to shoulder from longing to belonging. Um, <laughs> vocabulary. Yeah. Language. Uh, I, I, I remember correctly, you, you were, you were teaching, um, two lists, you know, like, and here's, here are the words that are unacceptable. And here are vocabulary that now is more inclusive type of vocabulary. Could you walk us through some of that and give me some examples? Cause I think, this is really the words have such power now yeah. and, and given the woke universe, even more power, but especially in the community that you're working with. Exactly. Thanks for asking that question. That's, um, and that has changed in, in the last, I don't know, 10 years, maybe things have started to change in terms of language again. So at one point, at one point in time, people were called handicapped, right? But really, the environment was what caught, what created barriers or obstacles to people to be able to participate or belong or be in community. So, handicap, you never refer to a person as handicap. It's, it's a situation is a handicap or a, a, the lack of accommodation is a handicap to participation. It's an obstacle or a barrier. Um, there, there was a time where the movement uh, in language focused solely on the use of person-first language, person with a disability, uh, use the person's name, person has, person has cerebral palsy, person is neurodivergent. Uh, and so it's in that regard, the person-first language means that whatever that disability is, is, is a part of the person not seen as or not regarded by that person perhaps as you know being really woven into everything that they do 
And from there came the idea of identity first and using identity first language, which you'll see in the deaf community, deaf people, blind people. Another example, uh, the autistic, the, the kind of the autistic, um, approach is autism is, is woven through a person. There's no separation of that person having autism being autistic is very much a part of of that person so the language is changing um i i would never have said disabled person i always would have said person with a disability but i do say disabled person now because it could be part of somebody's identity right disabled people i'm a i'm divergent a neurodivergent and that's how I identify in terms of disability or my brain wiring, if mm-hmm. you will. But there's the language there that is extremely euphemistic needs to be avoided at all costs. You know, it's uh, the, the term special needs. Uh, people with special needs, or we, we still hear special needs children or special needs parents. The term special needs is a euphemism to the word disability. And it, it really says nothing in the sense of it, it creates an othering situation. So, so is the language moving towards just telling it like it is as opposed yep. to euphemism and metaphors? Yes, yes, yes. What, yes. One, other, one other area that I want to ask you about because I've seen, you know, I'm a big pop culture think it really shows a mirror to where the society wants to go or may go. Um, But I've noticed in the last five years or so, an increased number of television shows where you have people with varying types of disabilities as permanent members of the cast. And I don't know whether, you know, my sense is that's being done purposely to send a very interesting and powerful message that this is just part of life. Just get over it. This is just, there's people are people. Am I wrong or is this? No, you're right. It's, it, it's an important movement. In fact, a, a lot of the work that respectability does in entertainment news media is focused on the authentic portrayal of disability in the media. There are, I think one of the most disingenuous uh, types of portrayal are when people who are not disabled play disabled people. And that, that again, sends a message that, okay, well, we can show, we can show disability on TV, but we really don't believe that a person with a disability could, could act or could, right or could be part of this process and that that has really changed a lot with uh the work of respectability also the work of the ruderman family foundation right, right. in in changes and and you know kol hakavod all due respect to both organizations because it really is making an impact and it it's changing in the media in popular culture how disability is regarded and regarded as part of life 
not as something special, not as something that, uh, you know, carries with it, uh, you know, stereotypical thinking. In fact, if anything, it is one way to turn that stereotypical uh, thinking and stigma around disability and and helping to just um, sh- help people understand that this is this is life. This is life. It's not something having a disability is not something that you pity somebody for or that you we used to say people with disabilities are not your mitzvah project. They're not your charity project. They're not, you know, doing something for a person with a disability is, is, you know, might make you feel good, but it, what are you doing? Are you having authentic and genuine conversations with people? Are you sharing history, your personal history, your stories? And, you know, really developing relationships and friendships. That's where things are heading. Does respectability, and maybe you touch this in your work in faith, inclusion, and belonging, um, deal with or touch areas of mental health challenges? Um, Is there what kind of overlap does respectability have within within this framework? In terms of in terms of the faith inclusion and belonging department, one of the areas that that is growing that that we are working in is the mental health field, and part of that work is related to um, some of some of the collaborations or some of the partnerships, or at least recognizing what other organizations are doing, what other faith based organizations are doing. In terms of supporting mental health, there there are organizations within within cities and communities that are faith based that are providing different services, mental health support services, things like that, referrals, um, clergy training, different things like that. So our our role is to know what's out there to write about it, to talk about it, to raise awareness that the resources are out there. And also to, for so for example, for JDAME, for Jewish Disability Awareness, Acceptance and Inclusion Month, we are focusing uh, in our book club, we are focusing on books for elementary, preschool and early elementary, as well as for older elementary and preteens, and then teenagers that address mental health. And in the, they address topics like bullying. They address topics of how we treat other people, but they also, especially the, for the older teen book, um, addresses the various things that teens, for example, experience with or even without a diagnosis, a mental health diagnosis, bullying, um, anxiety, depression. Oh, yeah. A place, a pl- feeling a, that you belong, feeling a place, not feeling you know, that you're the only person going through this. And that that really is a huge opportunity to be able to elevate that conversation. Given the challenges of social media and teens right now, and that that and, and, and what you're talking about, the cyberbullying, um it, it's it's frightening, it's overwhelming. Let me because we're gonna run out of time, I just want to ask one last question because you sure. you alluded to something and it just triggered something. 
about the training and uh, raising awareness. Has respectability begun to reach out to seminaries and training of clergy or, or, across the denominations? Because if you're mm-hmm. a clergy person in a seminary, you're going to walk into a church or a synagogue or a mosque. You're mm-hmm. going to be this. This is part of your congregation. Right. And this is part. So as we're developing our department now, which really is, you know, looking at and the actions that we can take and support in all areas of faith community life, including, including in seminaries. We want to be able to provide resources, whether it's uh, somebody from our speakers bureau, uh, would invariably be someone with lived experience. Um, it's, so it can, it can include speakers. It can include, um, even we're working right now on developing a, a whole curriculum. For congregations on, you know, like short modules, right, step right. by step ways to, to really wrap, wrap energy and, and thinking around belonging and inclusion. So that's, um, that's something that, that we're, that we're like at the very beginning stages. One interesting thing that we're doing relating to, um, that relates to this area is we're doing uh in collaboration with St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Long Beach, California. We are creating uh co-hosting uh, a Bible study. And the um the main speaker is a theologian, Old Testament theologian, who will be talking about about Moses as a leader with a disability and and putting some you know again clarity yeah, for right anybody who wants to go these are this is a national program because we realize if we're going to be authentic and in faith inclusion and belonging that we have to be mindful and respectful not only of the things that bring us together but the things that that get, make us different and give us a different take on things and so some of that work is so important to reach, as you know, in in seminaries. It's where practices are formed. It's where it's where ideas generate. We want to be able to provide guidance, resources, whatever we can to help facilitate that learning. Well, I mean, so. that, that's, I, I wish you good luck. It's really important, the seminary. The more, the older I get, the mm-hmm. more um, I look back and say, you know, we're just so many things that you walk out into the, into the pulpit and you're facing mm-hmm. uh, in a real life situation that you just can't say, well, see, what, what notes did I take on that for that two minutes that, you know, it just, right. and everybody has <laughs> Let to, me look. right, right. Everybody has to live it, but um yeah. I wish you good luck with that. Shelly Christensen, the Me Senior too. Director of Faith, Inclusion, and Belonging for Respectability, the the uh, website respectability.org. And that's how you reach yes. uh, that organization. And um, Shelly, Shelly, continued success. I, I thank you very much for sharing this. It's a very, you. very exciting stage in your life. Um, great. It's great for you. It's great for the country. So, uh, I appreciate all that you're doing and um, say hello to your family and, and from longing to belonging, 
go on Amazon, buy it right now. And especially if you're in a congregation and a synagogue and you're looking to, to get some very, very important guidance, it's a great, great resource. So thank you very much. You take care. Thank Good you, to Richie. see you again. Good to see you. Take care. You too. And to all of you, uh, thank you very much for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. And if you'd like to uh, make a commitment, a tax-free donation to help secure our work and continue it, go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, and go to the conveniently located Donate button. Just click on that and have fun, follow directions. It's really, really easy. Um, again, if you'd like to make a comment or suggestion, email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. If you're thinking about perhaps having an issue and would like to write an article for the website, just email me at that same address, rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. Seekers of Meaning is produced at the broadcast studios of Lubetkin Media Company in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. A shout out to our producer, Steve Lubetkin. Again, thank you for joining us. I look forward to seeing you on our next edition of Seekers of Meaning. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone, stay healthy, and most of all, be kind to each other. Shalom, Todah.